there, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mr. P with Mr. P Explores. And if you are tuning in right now, you are back for yet another episode of Mr. P's Tales from the Road. Oh boy, winter has finally come. Uh, as I sit here right now in Northeast Ohio, I'm looking out the window and it looks bleak. Uh, it is definitely looking like winter, guys. Uh, it's crazy because last week, uh, it was in the 70s here in, in, in the Rust Belt. It was beautiful, blue skies, uh, warm breezes. And all of a sudden, in the space of two days, that is gone and done. So get out your hats, get out your jackets, uh, start getting ready to put on three layers of clothes when you go out exploring, uh, you know, five pairs of socks or whatever it is you wear. It's going to get cold here, guys. Uh, it's just that time of the year again. But uh, for some of you, that might be great. For me, I'm, I'm not a huge winter fan. Uh, I don't mind the cold so much. It's just, it's just the damn snow. Uh, I hate having to shovel it. I hate having to remove it from my car every day. I hate having to walk through it. It's just a pain in the ass. But uh, it's, it's what you get when you live in the Rust Belt. It's just one of those things you got to live with. Um, the worst part about it uh, in, in this area of the world is having to deal with people who can't drive in it. Every year, people forget completely how to drive in snow. And within the first couple weeks of snow hitting, uh, everybody's in accidents and every freeway is choked with traffic at all points of the day. So... That's why I don't like snow. But anyway, uh, I digress. Uh, we have a great show coming up for you guys today. Um, I have been working on this show for quite a long time. Uh, it's kind of a special episode. It's probably going to go a little bit longer than usual. I don't know how long it's going to go. Uh, normally, we, we were about 40 minutes or so, but this one's probably going to go overboard because of the topic at hand. Uh, it's a topic, it's a story that's very special to me that I have been fascinated with uh, since I was a wee slip of a lad way back in the mid-80s. Um, and I'm here to tell it to you guys. Uh, it's a story of a cryptid, a creature that is uh, unknown to science, uh, that borders on urban legend uh, to this extent. Uh, it's become an infamous part of American pop culture. Uh, it is well known around the world. Uh, and uh, the creature I'm speaking of tonight is the Mothman of Point Pleasant. Uh, don't worry, there will be tales from the road, because we will be going to Point Pleasant to tell you guys all about our adventures there. Uh, but I want to tell you guys this story tonight. It's a, it's a story that captivated me. It captured me as a kid um, when I was yeah, not. I was like single digits. I wasn't even. I wasn't even uh, a teenager yet. We're talking nine, you know, eight, nine years old. Um, it's a story that I ha it just it just it just put its hooks in me, and it never stopped. Uh, even into modern day, I still uh, devour anything I can on this phenomenon. The Mothman phenomenon has become this 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 worldwide. Uh, thing. Uh, people from all around the world are fascinated by it. They come to see uh, the museum that's now in Point Pleasant. There's a festival every year. It's become this huge deal. But when I first learned about it, it was kind of a, a little tiny footnote in, in, in paranormal or supernatural or just mysterious circles. It wasn't anything well known. Um, it wasn't till the 90s that it really kicked off when a movie called The Mothman Prophecies came out and the internet started up and people started writing stories about it and, and making documentaries and all that. And now everybody knows who Mothman is. But uh, back when I first heard about this thing, it was a relative unknown. Um, I first heard about it in fourth grade. I remember the day well. It was a day much like today. It was cold. Uh, it was snowing outside. Uh, we had gone to library. We had a library period at my intermediate school. Uh, here in suburban Cleveland, and um, back then as now, uh, I love I love to read. I, I read voraciously. I tore into books. I would go through books like it was my job, uh, and every week I was excited to go to the library and get to pick out you know a couple books 
Um, so we were let loose to walk around the library, and, and the, I can always remember the smell of this library. It had that old paper, that old book smell to it. Uh, I don't know that you get it as much anymore. The paper's different now. I think the paper that things were printed on back then was just different because, I, I don't know, it had a certain smell to it. The older books you know, made the whole library smell like old just crispy paper. Anyway, uh, walking around the library, I, I would always, of course, go to the section on uh, you know, ghosts and UFOs, and I had a whole, I, I loved that stuff. Still to this day, I love that stuff, but uh, I found an old book that just grabbed me. When I saw this book, I knew I had to, I had to take it out. It was called Monsters, Giants, and Little Men from Mars, and on Natural History of the Americas, it was by a guy named Daniel Cohen. All right, uh, it came out in 1975, so that, that dates this book right there. I mean, by the time I got it, it was already about 10 years old. Um, Daniel Cohen was this author who wrote lots of those books for kids back in the day about monsters and creatures and ghosts and Bigfoot and all that stuff. And uh, this was the one that I was able to, to locate in the library, and I'll never forget it because it had a, it had a yellow cover, like a bright yellow cover. It was hard hardback. It didn't even have a dust cover on it. Just it was a hardback book, and on the front of it was the title. And climbing over the top of the actual words of the title was this fuzzy, green, alien-looking hominid creature. Uh, and I, I know I'll never forget that as long as I live. Uh, I took that book home that same day, uh, went up to my room, closed the door, turned on some music, uh, watching the snow come down outside, and I ate that book alive. And in the pages of that book, that is where I first read about the Mothman of Point Pleasant. Um, which I'm going to tell you that story today uh, as best I can. I tell this story to my students every single year, um, every single year uh, around Halloween time, just because of the vibe of the monster, the monster vibe. I tell the story, and uh, they eat that stuff up too. Uh, so if you guys are listening today, anybody who I've had in, in classes in the past, uh, you may get a little extended version of that. I usually tell the shortened version just because of time. But hopefully today we'll get we'll get the uh, the whole thing going here. All right, so I gotta to, to, to really get into the story, I kind of have to give you guys a little history on Point Pleasant itself. Point Pleasant, West Virginia, is this little town on the Ohio River. Uh, it's right on the border of West Virginia and Ohio. Right, the Ohio it sits on the Ohio River, right on the edge of Appalachia. Uh, it is right across the river from Gallipolis, Ohio. Um, it goes back all the way to the, the mid seventy or seventeen seventies, uh, Revolutionary War. Uh, had been going on, and uh, it was actually settled. Uh, there actually were battles there. The Battle of Point Pleasant happened there. Um, one of the final battles in the Revolutionary War with the British. And uh, it's, it's now it's the county seat of Mason County, West Virginia. But back then, it was just this little little military camp. It sits on the uh, at, at the point between uh, the Ohio River and the Kanawha River, where they come together. Uh, that's that's the pleasant point. Uh, and supposedly, according to legend, from what I could could discern, uh, actually George Washington had visited that area and gave, you know, said, oh, this is a pleasant point. And that's kind of where they went off with the name for the town. Um, the first camp, it was called Camp Point Pleasant, was built on the site by Colonel Andrew Lewis, and it became a town after the Revolutionary War was over. Um, and, of course, you know, as, as local colonists started moving in, uh, they had uh, some clashes with the local Native American tribes. The Shawnee were hanging out there, and they were none too pleased at the treatment they got from the incoming colonists, as you can imagine. All right, we are known for that kind of thing all throughout history. Um, oh, look at this land over here. Let's move on to it. Oh, there's Native Americans. At, well, well, we'll find a way to get rid of them. Uh, and that was kind of what was up. Uh, at that time, uh, the Shawnee were led by a guy named Chief Cornstalk. Chief Cornstalk uh, wanted to try to find some kind of middle ground where everybody could get along. 
naive guy that he was, all right? And as he was on his way to meet with the, the local leaders, he was ambushed and murdered. He and his son were both murdered in cold blood. And it, it was said in legend at that point that he put a, a curse on the whole area, which is what, the, at, at this modern day, is where people try to say, this is, you know, this is, this is, the, this is the curse of Chief Cornstalk. That's why so many bad things have happened in Point Pleasant. Um, you know, believe that or not, uh, the locals will tell you about Chief Cornstalk if you ask. But um, anyway, uh, he, he was buried there. Uh, you can actually go see his, his tomb. His tomb is actually at the park at the, at the actual point. There's a, a big state park there you can go visit, and his tomb is there. It says Cornstalk on it and everything. Um, pretty, pretty neat place. So if you're, ever, if you're ever down that way, go check out uh, Chief Cornstalk's grave. Um, the monument is there. Uh, Point Pleasant uh, today is a small town of about 5,000 people. Um, it has seen better days uh, simply because of the economics of the region. All right, uh, you know it, it's it's always been a, a rough place to get jobs, uh, even back in the best of times, just because of of industry coming and going. Uh, it was a barge town. I mean, people would stop there on the river, the Ohio River. You know, barges would be coming up and down the river from uh, from Pittsburgh to New Orleans, back and forth. Um, a lot of barge traffic, uh, and even today you'll see you'll see tugboats with barges coming up and down. Um, they had some factories there. It was a small town, all right? And the time period we're looking at here, uh, we're looking at the, at, at the mid-60s here. In 1966, to be exact, is when our story is going to begin. Um, Point Pleasant was a quiet place. It was a quiet town where everybody knew each other, right? Everybody knew what everybody else was up to. You knew everybody's business. You knew your neighbors. Uh, you saw each other at church every week. Uh, you'd see each other on the streets, uh, shopping, you know, whatever. You, everybody knew everybody in town. Uh, these were people who were, uh, you know, God-fearing, you know, hard-working, uh, good people uh, living in this small town. And uh, it had always been that way. Things had been quiet. Things had been just, you know, kind of a, an everyday. Everyday was just kind of so-so. And, and things were about to change in a huge way in November of 1966. Some big, crazy things were about to go down that would shatter this idea of Point Pleasant being a quiet, normal everyday kind of place. Um, so our story begins in November of 1966, November 15th to be exact, although in, in, in the grander scheme there were some things that happened before that, but as far as Point Pleasant's concerned, our story begins in November 15th of 1966. Um, and I know I'm going to leave out a ton of, of, of small and minute details, I'm going to try to get as many as I can, but, but bear with me, all right? Um, so back in those days, um, when uh, you were a young person uh, looking for a good time, you obviously had nothing around. Point Pleasant's very far away from big cities. Uh, there really were no malls or anything you could go and hang out. You kind of had to make your own fun. And uh, a lot of times what people would do is they'd go out driving. All right, you'd have a car. And back in 1966, people still worked on their cars. This was a time when people were, you know, especially teenagers, uh, you know, older teenagers would work on their cars and spice them up and, and race them. And it was the car culture was huge in the mid-60s. Uh, and it was no different in Point Pleasant. Uh, people would take their girlfriends out and they'd drive around in their cars and they'd go out and race on, on, the, on the country roads. Uh, the one place that people would go out to uh, was, was a place north of Point Pleasant. All right, north of Point Pleasant. Um, a couple of miles down, up, up Route 62, uh, a place called, what the, what the locals called the TNT area, all right, uh, which is officially today called the McClintic Wildlife uh, Management Area. Uh, it's, I, think, I want to say it's run by the state of West Virginia. Um, the TNT area 
is actually the remains of the West Virginia Ordnance Works. The West Virginia Ordnance Works was a massive ammunition plant built during World War II. Acres and acres and acres were swallowed up by the government, and overnight, seemingly, they built this huge complex of factories and warehouses and uh, uh, chemical manufacturing plants, and it had its own rail yard, and it became this, it was like a city, basically. Uh, everybody, a lot of people lived on, on that facility uh, in, in uh, small bungalows, that kind of thing. It was, it was, a, military, it was a military facility, uh, and it was there to make ammunition for World War II. Um, they were pumping out bombs and uh, ammunition, and whatever they needed for the war effort was built there, was made there. Um, huge factories and, and, and all kinds of you know, giant tanks were set up for, for chemicals, and it was a huge operation. Uh, but when you know, victory in Japan Day happened, and the world the war was over. Uh, they no longer had a need for this this ordnance work, so it was basically all the big stuff was removed. They took everything out that could be taken out, and they left the rest to to rot. And uh, Mother Nature, you know, this being a, a marshy, swampy area, Mother Nature took over pretty quickly. Um, all that was left over were some of the ruins, you know, overgrown with vines and trees, and the woods had grown up around it. And you had these roads, uh, these old uh, semi-paved roads that, 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 that led around this giant area, which the locals started calling the TNT area. Now, during the day, people would go out there and fish, uh, people would go out there and hunt, um, very quiet, very remote area, very still, very qu there's just nothing going on. There's no electricity out there. It's, it's just this, these old feeder roads uh, to this, this, this huge complex. Um, there was an old power plant out there. There was a, you know, a couple old uh, bunkers and all just these it is huge. We'll get into more of that later on. I'll tell you guys more about uh, the TNT area. But just imagine this, this, this uh, just kind of forlorn area where there was nobody living and nobody around for miles and it's just these roads and uh, this is where the kids would go driving this is where they'd go to get away from their parents get away from mom and dad get the hell out of the house uh, get away from town and go do what teenagers do whether it was you know just they would race their cars out there um, they would go drink they would go do things that you would do when you drink with your girlfriend all right that kind of stuff you know where i'm going with that um it was a hangout, and uh, on the night of November 15th, 1966, we had two young couples from Point Pleasant, uh, Roger and Linda Scarberry and Steve and Mary Millette. Uh, they were driving around in uh, Steve, I want to say, it was, I want to say, it, no, it was Roger Scarberry, Roger Scarberry's 57 Chevy Bel Air, all right? They were driving around out there in the TNT area. They figured, well, we'll go out for a joyride, you know, who knows, maybe we'll run into somebody else out there. Now, again, at night, this place is very remote. There are no lights um, it is it is as dark as it gets. Um, you're out there by yourself. There's no there's no other cars coming by usually. Uh, and, and again, you're not driving fast out there because it's it, these rutted old roads. It would destroy your your car if you did that. So you're driving at maybe 25 miles an hour or less in the middle of these woods. And there's just it's just it's even in the middle of winter with no uh, vegetation cover. It's it's creepy as hell. I've been out there. So these guys go out there for a joyride. They probably got the radio on. Maybe they have a little something, something uh, to drink. All right, maybe something. I don't know. But they go out to this TNT area, and they're driving around um, just cruising, as kids do. Uh, they drive up around an area that used to house the North Power Plant. Uh, back in those days, back in the day when it was the uh, Ordnance Works, this was the, they had two power plants, the North Power Plant and the South Power Plant. The North Power Plant um, 
was obviously on the north side of, of things. Um, and it had sat there in ruins. It had been scrapped out. You know, the, the biggest, the, the big parts of it had been removed. All the turbines and all that stuff had been taken out of there. Um, but there was still rusting machinery in there and uh, catwalks. And, you know, it's this old, you know, abandoned. It's the perfect place that we would find ourselves if it was still around to be explored. Um, it was an abandoned building back in the 60s. Um, it's no longer there anymore, sadly. I would love to see the inside of it. But anyway, I digress. All right. Um, they were driving around this north power plant. There was this uh, kind of a crossroads. It was a main road that came through there. It's the campground road, or the, or the camp, or the uh, not the campground, the um, fairground road. That's what it's called now. The fairgrounds are out there now, and uh, this road kind of crossed over that. And they were driving down it. And again, it's it's gravel. It's they're not driving very fast. Uh, but as they drive closer and closer to this north power plant, the north power plant's on the right-hand side of them, and there are these old, uh, rusted barbed wire fences on both sides. As they're, as they're coming alongside the north power plant, they see in the distance what looks like a man standing off to the side of the road, kind of like where the loading areas would have been for this, this power plant, like off in the high grass. All right, and and they're like, Who, who's this guy? What's he doing out here? Don't know who this guy is. Uh, you know, they couldn't tell. You know, you, as you're driving, you see somebody in the distance. You can't really tell what they're doing. You can see that they're there, but uh, and as they get closer to this thing, it starts to kind of shuffle off towards the power plant. And as they notice it, it kind of looks like it's, it's wearing like all gray clothing. It's a guy in all gray clothing, you know, a tall guy in all gray clothing, and he starts to kind of hobble off towards the power plant. And they're like, well, this is odd. Is he hurt? Is, is there a problem? You know, what's going on here? So uh, they, they, they drive in closer, and uh, as the lights hit this thing, um, it, it basically rises up off the ground. <laughs> it doesn't, f it, it kind of rises up off the ground, its arms come out, and what they see is these giant pair of wings kind of extend, and this thing just hovers up off the ground. Uh, and they notice, the one thing they notice about this thing as it's doing this is it's all gray, um, covered in what looks like fine little, little fine little feathers, and the eyes are what stand out, because all, all any of them can remember were these huge red eyes. And this thing just kind of hovers up off the ground and starts flying towards their car. Well, of course, you know, you're going to flip out, and you're going to want to get the hell out of there. So, uh... Uh, Roger puts the car in, 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 into full gear and they bust out of there and he's doing uh, well over 90 miles an hour down these rutted roads, you know, trying to head back to the main state route, 62, to get back to town. And uh, as they're driving, as they're, you know, pumping the gas, this thing is keeping up with them uh, and they can hear this thing bumping up against the top of the car. Right? They have, you know, it's a, it's a, like a soft top uh, uh convertible all right it's a 57 bel air and 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 uh it's just bouncing up on the, on, on the top of it and they can hear this high-pitched almost like a high-pitched squeaking like a mouse crossed with a mosquito it's like bumping up and down against the top and they're terrified right no matter how fast he goes no matter how fast they urge this car to go this thing keeps up and it, it'll, it'll take off and it'll circle around it'll come back down um and it follows them the entire way back to the town limits, okay, which is miles away. And again, they're cruising down Route 62. 62 is not a straight route. Having driven it many times, it is not a straight route. We're talking curves and dips and hills. This is West Virginia, all right? So to be, to be going almost 100 miles an hour in, 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 in a Chevy Bel Air um, at that speed 
in the middle of the night. It just it's it's amazing they didn't wreck themselves. But uh, as they got closer to town, they could see the, the town limits. They saw the signs for the town limits. This thing veers off and it flies away and uh, it goes back the way it came. So naturally, these 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 these. 19 20 year old kids and, and let's face it they were kids uh, yes they were married um, but you know in those days you got married early but they were they were they were basically kids were terrified all right uh, and they didn't know whether they should go to the police or not should we go to the police should we say something they're gonna think we're nuts you know but we, we what are we gonna do uh, after sitting there for a while after they'd pulled over to, to kind of gain their wits back they decided that they would go to the police office uh, police officers uh, were down the street at the local cop shop, and uh, they showed up, and the cops instantly knew something was up. Uh, these kids came in, and they were terrified. And you know, when you when you see somebody who is gen, you know, genuinely terrified, they, you can tell they're not faking. It's just it's just a way about them. You know, they're not faking it. Um, these kids were terrified. Uh, and of course, the cops at first were like, "Oh, uh, yeah, okay, monster, monster at the TNT, sure." Uh, you know, uh, but as they began to question the kids, they began to realize that, that these kids were not lying. Uh, whatever they, they, they had seen something, uh, and maybe they had, had not, you know, maybe they had seen something normal and attributed something crazy to it and, and spooked themselves, who knows, but they had seen something. The cops could believe that. Uh, they pulled all of them apart, all four of them, and had them write down their statements, and everybody's statements jived. All right, nobody... Uh, down to down to some very basic basic details, you know that you would have seriously had to have planned in great detail to to have everybody get the same thing on paper uh, before you went in. So these kids wrote down their stories, and it was almost exactly the same to 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 to, to the details. Uh, they had them draw pictures of this thing, um, you know, and, and they all looked the same. I, I unfortunately describing it to you guys is hard. Uh, if you look up the pictures online, if you look up you know Mothman. Um, Drawings, you know, you'll see. I mean, you'll see what originally came out. You can actually go to the museum and see the drawings. The actual, the actual reports and the drawings are at the museum in Point Pleasant today. But um, it just, it did not look like a man, and it did not look like any animal that you would imagine would be out in in the wilderness. It, it looked like some kind of crazy mutant hybrid. It looked like a like a stand. It looked like a, a, a an owl with long legs and it just kind of had these like humped wings back behind its back. I, I it's hard to explain. Uh I would definitely recommend you check it out. It's it's kind of haunting. It's kind of creepy. It'll give you shivers. First time I ever saw that picture in that that book, right? It it, it gave me it gave me some serious uh some serious heebie-jeebies. But um you know, and at this point, the cops realize this, this is we, we better get out there and at least check it out. So they take these kids back out there, back out to the TNT. They take the, the cruisers out there and they don't find anything. They don't find anything. And they send the kids home and uh, figuring, well, you know, this will all blow over. Well, the next day, the media gets a hold of this, this story. Somebody must have talked and the media gets a hold of the story. And within days, it explodes all right, this whole idea of this monster being in the TNT. Uh, people go out there, these, you know, all these people with their guns go out there to try to find this thing. Um, people start coming forward with their own sightings. Um, it, it goes beyond just a local town thing to, you know, all local other, other towns around them start to talk about it. And it becomes a, a media sensation. Um, the interview with, with the Scarberries and the Mallets, it becomes a huge deal. Uh, especially in that in that part of, of southern Ohio and uh, uh, northwestern 
West Virginia. So, you know, it's on all of a sudden. And from that point on, from, from that night on, people all over Point Pleasant will start to see this thing. Um, and not just, not just kids or not just people who you would expect are looking for fame and fortune or for, you know, their 15 minutes in the, in the news media. But these are people that are coming forward that are not uh, the type of people who would come forward for that kind of thing. They are people who, you know, you had pastors, you had shopkeepers, you had people who were basically just simple folk who weren't looking for any kind of you know, crazy adventure who were coming forward terrified having seen this thing. Uh, people were seeing it in uh, farm fields. They were seeing it flying around, you know, out towards the TNT area. They were seeing it, uh, one person saw it, I want to say one person saw it in an abandoned golf course uh, that winter. Uh, it was seen perched on housetops, on, on, on billboards. You know, it was, it was seen everywhere. People were seeing this thing everywhere. And all of the people who saw it had the same description, it had the red eyes, you know, seven foot tall, kind of hunched, kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of perched up on top of things. Uh, it was humanoid, but it had bird like features, but it wasn't a bird. Um, of course, there were people who came, uh, some scientists who came down to try to, to try to make sense of this. And, of course, they poo-pooed any kind of supernatural suggestions. Oh, it's just a sandhill crane. It's, a, it's an owl. And, and a lot of these people got pissed because these people hunt. This is West Virginia. They know all of the animals um, that are out there in the woods to be seen. Uh, they've been hunting all their lives. They, they know what they're looking at. They, they know that this wasn't any of those things. Um, this is something they've never seen before. So you know, nobody has any explanation. And, and over the next year, these sightings are going to kick up you know, more and more and more. And the police don't know what to do with it. The police you know, can never see this thing. Uh, nobody ever really gets a, a picture of it. You know, this is a time when nobody had cell phones. People didn't carry cameras around with them. So all you really had were, was word of mouth, you know, somebody's story. That's all they could tell you. Uh, there were no pictures of it at all. Nobody ever captured pictures of it. Uh, now, the one thing I got I to gotta make sure you know is that nobody was ever hurt by Mothman. Nobody was ever attacked by it. It would chase people. It would fly above people's cars. Um, it, would, it would huddle, you know, hustle over towards them. It would kind of waddle over towards them if it, it was close by. But it would never uh, attack anybody. It almost seemed more curious than it was menacing, you know. But when you're terrified, that doesn't matter. Uh, there was one instance, there was one story that really, really blew my mind. Uh, it was about a girl who was heading home. Her house was out by the TNT, was nearby to the TNT area, and uh, her family lived there, and uh, she had just had a daughter. Her daughter was a couple months old, and she was heading home from a party with her, with her daughter, and she pulls into this driveway, and again, there's no lights except for the house, you know, the lights in the house. She pulls up, gets out of the car, gets her daughter out of the car, and turns around, and what does she see more than maybe like, I don't know, 10, 15 feet away from her, but this thing standing there, just, just, just looking at her, you know, not moving, not doing anything, just standing there, just kind of hunched over, just kind of, hey, what's, what's going on? Uh, she lost it, as anybody would. She, she stumbled over herself, uh, she, dropped her ba she, she dropped and fell on top of her baby. Luckily, the, the baby was fine, all right? But she picked the baby up, ran into the house screaming, you know, dad was in there, the family was in there. What's wrong? What's wrong? There's this thing outside. Uh, so they lock the doors and uh, dad gets his shotgun and, you know, because it's West Virginia, everybody's got a shotgun. Um, they're hunters, right? You know, they got, they got their shotguns. Anyway, uh, this thing comes up onto the porch. 
and they can hear it moving around out on the porch. They can hear it shuffling around on the wooden front porch. And uh, the most terrifying part of the story is the fact that this thing looked inside the windows. They could see the red eyes. It looked inside the window for a brief moment and then shuffled off. Well, by that point, they had called the cops. The cops were on their way. By the time the police got there, this thing was gone. So who knows? Uh, another instance, another story of, of a sighting happened at the, the power plant. Once again, there were two gentlemen out riding their motorcycles out at night uh, who were out there in the TNT. And uh, they, they drove past the, the north power plant. And up on top of the power plant, they see this silhouette of something standing up on top of it. And they can see these, these red eyes. Well, these guys you know, didn't know. They, they thought maybe it was somebody up there screwing around. So they figured, well, maybe it's somebody we know. Let's go see if we can sneak up on them and, 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 and mess with them. You know, we'll, 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 their plan will backfire. We'll scare them, and it'll all be one big ha-ha. So they go inside the ruins of this building. They go inside this abandoned building. And I can tell you right now, at night, abandoned buildings are even, you know, especially without flashlights, are treacherous. So these guys somehow made it up to the top, the top floor. We're talking maybe three stories up. Stairwells probably went up there, but they were probably very janky. But these guys made it up there, and they were doing this all by the moon. It was a, it was a full moon out that night. That was the way they were able to see. Uh, so they were doing this all by moonlight. Uh, they go up to the top floor, and uh, what they see terrifies the hell out of them. Um, in the in these shadows at the far end of the power plant on this big catwalk, they see this thing hunched over, you know, with its kind of wings kind of tucked behind its back, and it kind of shuffles up towards them, and it stops just at the line where the moonlight you know, and, and the shadow, you know, meet. It stops right at that line, and they can't really get any good look at it. They can see, you know, kind of the eye. They can kind of see the eyes, kind of like... Uh, <sighs> When you see a, an animal in the headlights, like the, the eyes were kind of gleaming like that, um, but it didn't cross over that line. It didn't come across into the moonlight. Like it knew that if it came across, they would be able to see it. Um, they could see it, but not well. Uh, and they kind of moved towards it to try to find out what it was. And the thing kind of just shuffled off, off the catwalk into the abyss of this giant empty power plant. And it kind of flew out through a hole in the roof. And they could hear the flapping of wings as as it took off. And these guys didn't know what to make of that. You know, they they didn't have any clue of what the hell they had just seen. But all kinds of sightings like that happened throughout that that next year, throughout the next summer. All right, um, there were instances where people saw this thing close up, and uh, through looking at this thing's eyes dead on, they got uh, a massive case of conjunctivitis. Conjunctivitis is basically pink eye on steroids. All right. Uh, their eyes were all just, just, just seeping and just, just, if you've ever seen pink eye, you know what I'm talking about. It's, just, it's a nasty mess. If you've ever had it, you know, it's not anything fun, but they had conjunctivitis from looking at this thing in, in, in the eyes, even from a distance. Um, you know, coincidence, who knows? Um, but, but nobody had an explanation for what the hell this thing was. And, uh, you know, this quiet little town became a nightmare because you never knew people kept their kids inside. You didn't know. If you were going to see it, uh, people kind of, they took their guns everywhere with them. Um, you didn't know what was going to happen. All right. Um, now that in itself is crazy. This Mothman saying, and I forgot to mention the, the Mothman got its name 
from the old Batman series. Um, if you're familiar with the original, the original Batman series that took place back in the 1960s, um, Batman back then was much different than Batman now. It was more goofy and corny, and you know the Biff and the Pow and, the, and the, you know, all that. Uh, it's not gritty and and and, and dark and, and gothy like it is today. But Batman back then was a very popular show, and uh, the media kind of ran with that. Well, this thing looks like a moth or a bird. We'll call it Mothman. So the name stuck. Um, that's where that came from. But uh, that this whole situation had totally blown this this quiet little city open wide. People were terrified. Um, you can only imagine what it would have been like had this been you know modern day with the the social media and all that. Who knows what would have happened? Um, but you know people people were scared. Uh, but that wasn't where things were going to stop. All right, um, crazier things were going to start happening in addition to the Mothman sightings. Uh, people started seeing lights in the sky. All right, and if you know anything about the UFO craze, the 1960s was just the hot spot for UFO sightings. Uh, people saw UFOs everywhere. But this, again, this was a place where no one had ever really reported any, any UFOs or lights in the sky. And all of a sudden, at night, you had these lights kind of hovering above the mountaintops and kind of zipping around, and, and people would see them uh, without an explanation. No explanation at all. They weren't. They weren't searchlights. They weren't. You know, there was nothing going on. Uh, there was no military presence that would would say, "Hey, these are helicopters." None of that. Uh, they didn't act like helicopters either. They weren't. They weren't any kind of aircraft. You could tell that were that were you know from that modern day type of aircraft. There was nothing uh, that would have done that. Um, uh, people started having these this poltergeist activities in their houses. These crazy things would start happening in, in houses where that never happened before. Uh, weird energy activity would be going on, crackling, things would crackle, uh, appliances would die, um, things would get stacked in weird ways. If you're familiar with poltergeist activity, uh, poltergeist activity, uh, lots of weird events will happen. You know, uh, Drawers will open and close over and over and over again. Uh, things will open and close and slam shut. Um, chairs will get stacked in bizarre ways. It just this was all happening in, it, while Mothman was happening. Um, just all kinds of things. And then, and finally, the, the weirdest thing of all had to do with visitors that were coming to town. Uh, unknown men dressed in all black, uh, black hat, black suits, black sunglasses, black ties, black shoes, everything black. Um, started visiting people in town, you know, without any kind of identification, you know, no identification, no explanation. Uh, these guys were showing up in these long black unmarked cars, no plates, and they would knock on the door at odd hours of the night and, and threaten you basically, you know, with this idea. If you saw something, trust me, you didn't see anything. And if you did, you better not talk about it or else. And they would leave with that. They would threaten these families. They would threaten these people that had seen anything. Uh, if they had talked to the newspapers about it, they would threaten them. If you, if you continue talking about it, we will make life miserable for you. The bad things will happen. Um, to this day, nobody knows who these guys were. Uh, you know, and you're thinking, oh, I know these guys. This is the men in black, right? This is, this is it's Will Smith. Yeah, <laughs> the Will Smith movies were based on these guys. These were the original Men in Black. Uh, nobody knew what to call them. They were called the Men in Black because that's what they were. Um, the Men in Black movies, you guys know, uh, you know, with Will Smith and, and all of that, that, that was more of a humorous version of, of what was going on here. These guys were not humorous. They were terrifying. And nobody could explain who they were. They would show up. Uh, some people would see them standing on street corners or in alleyways, just kind of standing, watching things. Like, people started seeing these guys everywhere, and no one could explain it. The cops could never find one of their cars to pull them over and ask questions, though. So who knows? 
Um, who knows who these guys were? Um, they started harassing uh, the local newspaper folks. All right, there was a, a local newspaper reporter named Mary Heyer. Mary Heyer uh, had a very popular uh, column in the newspaper, and she was reporting on these Mothman sightings and all the crazy stuff that was happening, and, and she was trying to keep everybody abreast of what was happening, and she was really trying to figure out, you know, research and, and trying to do her work to try to figure out what, you know, she's your typical reporter. She's trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And uh, these men in black actually made a visit to her office one night, and uh, she she recalls them being extremely bizarre. They had a very strange way of speaking, an accent she couldn't couldn't pin down. Um, and as they were asking her questions, they seemed to be very like, like they weren't like normal people that knew just basic things. Like they they were picking things up on her desk and like you know what what the heck is this and. Um, just weird behavior, odd behavior, and finally they threatened her and they left, and that was it. Uh, that didn't stop her. She continued to uh, report on this stuff until she died, um, but that was years later. Um, one of the big things that happened is is a, a, a reporter from New York City, an investigative reporter from New York City, a guy by the name of John Keel, actually heard about this. Uh, he was tipped off by a local science fiction author named Gray Barker. Uh, had telephoned him and said, hey, you got to come down here. There's some crazy stuff going on. Uh, so John Keel came down, and he was one of the first people to ever really high, uh, heavily investigate this, like to dig deep uh, into what was going on. Um, and he uh, interviewed dozens of people that had seen Mothman or had experiences with some of these men in black. And uh, at first, the locals were very leery of this guy. He's an outsider. You know, he's from New York. You know, what is he doing here? But he just had this way of talking to people and reassuring them that, hey, I'm not here to, I want to hear your story. I want to hear what you've seen. I believe you. I want to, I want to know what you saw. Uh, and eventually, uh, his, 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 his writings would go into a book called The Mothman Prophecies. It came out a few years after, after this. Um, and later on, a movie would be made based on his book. But uh, he, he was one of the first real uh, people who got to really investigate some of these weird doings in Point Pleasant. Um, you know, no one had ever done that kind of thing before. No one had ever had that experience before. So he was one of the first. He was a groundbreaking guy. He kind of went in there and and, uh, and 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 broke that open. All right. So for this whole year, this was going on. All right. For a whole year, just terror upon terror. People were were scared. You know, they didn't know what they were up against. Again, this is a, a small country town. You know, nothing nothing really interesting ever went on before. Now all of a sudden, it's this this epicenter for insanity. And nobody could explain why. Um, so, you know, after a year of this, though, something's about to happen. Something horrific, something completely unexpected was going to happen that would turn everything off like, like someone had snapped their finger or switched off a light switch. Uh, an event was going to go down that would shut it all down forever. Um, and it happened right around Christmas time, December 15th, 1967. All right, everybody was uh, on their way home. It was about 5 o'clock at night. Everybody was on their way home from school events or from work or uh, people had been out Christmas shopping. Uh, it was basically rush hour, you know, what we would call rush hour today. Um, crossing over the Ohio River from Point Pleasant to Gallup Police, Ohio, uh, was a bridge called the Silver Bridge. It was this massive old uh, suspension bridge that had been built in the early 20s. 
All right, it had been built uh, to, to, to connect the two sides uh, so that people wouldn't have to take ferry boats or have to drive down the river to some of the bigger bridges. It was built there, um, you know, right around the same time that Model T Fords were coming out. All right, it was built at a time when cars were much lighter, uh, but it was this big, impressive bridge called the Silver Bridge because it was painted silver. Um, People were just used to driving over it. You know, people would live in Point Pleasant, work in Gallipolis, and vice versa. Um, it was the main route through town. Uh, it was it was the main artery of of economic everything for Point Pleasant. This bridge, uh, and on that night, it was packed with people. There had been a malfunction uh, of the uh, stoplight in town, the main stoplight where where the main street and 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 this state route met, um, where, the, where the bridge came down into town. Uh, it, it was a malfunction, so you know people were backed up on this bridge worse than usual uh, in both directions. So you had trucks, semis, you know, cars just, just loaded up, um, and every so often they'd be able to move a little bit, and you know people would slowly make their way off this bridge. So imagine this this suspension bridge completely packed with cars. Uh, it's getting dark out. Um, it was just, it was, you know, everybody was waiting to go home. You're sitting there just listening to some music, waiting for, you know, waiting for the, the, the light to change. Well, right around 5.02 p.m., all hell broke loose. A small piece of connector uh, snapped in one of the, 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 the wires holding up the bridge. And what happened was the, the weight distribution shifted, and it twisted the bridge, and it just became a, a chain reaction. And... Uh, it basically dumped the entire contents of that bridge into the Ohio River. It twisted and tilted, and all everybody that was on that bridge went into the river. Trucks, cars, everybody, you know, down uh, 80 feet or so into the Ohio River, which, of course, at that point was freezing. A um, couple seconds later, the rest of the bridge snapped and fell on top of those cars. So you had all these people who, one second, uh, were, were talking to their 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 their, their passenger. They're having, you know, talking about what they're going to have for dinner, and all of a sudden they're in the icy water of the Ohio. It's flooding into their cars. Uh, they can't get out, and then boom, the bridge falls on top of them and lights out. Uh, it was a horrific thing. There were people in town that remember hearing the bridge go down. It sounded like a dying beast, like just metal just twisting, and then boom. Um, and nobody knew at first what what the hell had happened, and everybody went running over there. And they got to the ramp or the where, you know the, the road ramp or the where it would lead up to the bridge, and it was just gone. It was just not there anymore. Um, there was actually a car, uh, a lady who had been waiting for the light to change, who was on the edge of like just uh, her basically her tires were inches away from where the bridge had snapped off, and uh, the car was like teetering on the edge. I mean, it was that that close for her, but the, the bridge had gone into the river. This huge bridge had fallen into the river. Um, just one of the most horrific things you can possibly imagine. Uh, later on, they'd find out that the piece that had broken had rusted just enough where it was like, I want to say, 2.5 millimeters of a crack was all it took to snap this thing. Because uh, it was it was carrying heavier loads than it was supposed to, and that's all it took. That little bit of rust, that little crack, and it snapped, and boom. Uh, it wasn't built to handle 1966 traffic, right? Um, and it just, it was a horrific event and, and the whole town, it kind of put a scar on the entire town forever. Uh, these were people, they, all the people that died on that bridge, they, people knew who they were. They were neighbors, they were, uh, relatives, they were students, they were, uh, people you knew, right? Uh, 46 people died on that bridge and, uh, two of them were never found. 
Uh, what hits me hard is one of them was a 12-year-old girl uh, who, who would have been in seventh grade. It would have been one of my kids uh, that, that fell and, and, and never found. They never found the body. I think the other one was a truck driver. Um, now, some of these people did get out. Uh, the people, some of the people that did fall in were able to swim out and get to shore. Um, you're, you're dealing with hypothermia. You're, you're dealing with that. But uh, many of them did survive. They were p- pulled out. Um, but 46 of them never made it. Um, the people that were there rescuing these people out of the river uh, remember there being presents, wrapped presents floating in the water. Seeing the cars down below the water with their lights still on, knowing that there were people trapped down there they couldn't get to. Uh, it was just a horrific thing. Um, now, here's where things get a little crazy. Um, according to the stories, and again, this might be part of the urban legend. Uh, this might be part of, this might be some, something that somebody made up far later and added into the story. Hard to say. Uh, according to some of the stories that are out there, somebody saw Mothman perched up on that bridge shortly before this happened. Now, is this, is that true? Who knows? Who really knows? Uh, other people say they saw the men in black hanging around the bridge or climbing up on the ladder, the, the, the maintenance access ladder. Uh, who knows? Who knows? I, I tend to believe it was more of just an engineering screw-up uh, myself, um, but... Uh, there are some people that swear by that, that, that Mothman, you know, he was either, he either did it himself or he was there as a warning. There are many people who believe that Mothman was actually a warning. The whole year of Mothman being there was, is it was in his weird alien way of trying to warn the people that something bad was going to happen. And, uh, which, I mean, you can kind of maybe believe that because as soon as the bridge had collapsed, as soon as it was all done, sent and done, everything stopped. No more Mothman. No more UFOs, no more men in black, no more anything. It was all over, just it, like it turned off, and that was it. Uh, it stopped, dead. Um, who knows? <laughs> you know, nobody seems to know. But from that point on, nobody really ever saw Mothman again. I mean, there were a couple people here and there throughout the next decades that would swear they saw him, but they, they were never any. It was never any mass sightings uh, of him or it or whatever it was. Um, Nobody seems to know, but uh, it became part of, of that legend that he, he was seen, all right? Um, I will tell you guys right now that I, I have been there to Point Pleasant. I have seen where this bridge came down. You can actually walk down below the flood wall. Uh, there's a flood wall that runs along the whole space of, of downtown for the Ohio floods, um, and you can go down there, and there's a, there's a monument there to all the, the dead. And it's it's just a, it's a it's a very sobering place to be. You're facing the opposite shore, and you can kind of in your mind's eye you can see where this bridge used to be. Uh, and there's no there's no sign of it today. There's nothing left of it. They've taken it all. And all the wreckage was taken out, and it was completely removed. Um, it's gone. Uh, but you can see it in your mind. You can you can imagine how horrible that must have been. How how terrifying it, it would have been for those people that went down in that bridge especially the ones that, that only had a few moments to live before it was all over. Just horrible. Um, and today, it's a big scar on that town. They're, 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 people won't talk about that. Even today, people will not talk about it. Uh, it is not something they want to talk about, and I can't blame them. Um, I made the mistake of asking one simple question about it, and they it, it got all cool on me, uh, which I don't, I don't blame them. I apologize profusely. I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't even realize. I'm that's, sorry for being insensitive. And... Uh, they forgave me, thankfully, but it, it was, it was, they don't talk about the bridge coming down. Um, so, you know, that bridge coming down 
put an end to the Mothman, but it didn't put an end to the legend, obviously, because we still talk about it today. Uh, unfortunately, Point Pleasant underwent a serious decline after the bridge collapsed, because that, that bridge was the main tether to economic, you know, that was the, where, where you know, trucks and cars came through. Uh, to get to, to town, you had to go 30 miles down the road to the next bridge to cross, or you'd have to cross on one of the ferries. So it really ruined up economics there. People left. Uh, the town kind of died. Um, a lot of businesses were empty. Uh, the main street emptied out. Um, you know, it, it just became this ghost town. People still live there. There's still some jobs, but it became very hard to stay. Um, and it was like that until, I want to say, the early 2000s. Uh, the early 2000s uh, kind of saw a resurrection of Point Pleasant, and it happened in a weird way. Uh, it actually happened because of Mothman. Mothman actually brought Point Pleasant back from, from the brink. All right. Um, around the early 2000s, there was a gentleman by the name of Jeff Walmsley. Jeff Walmsley um, was around probably seven or eight when Mothman actually happened. He remembers hearing more about it when he was in junior high, but it always fascinated him. Uh, he decided that, you know, we had this tragedy happen. Why don't we do something with it and see if we can make something positive happen of it? So, uh, and this guy, this guy was an artist. He was a teacher. He, he had opened up... Um, record stores. I mean, he, he was, he was, he was a pretty cool guy. He's still around. I mean, he's a cool guy. I've never gotten a chance to meet him, unfortunately. Uh, but, uh, he, he decided that, you know, why, why don't we, why don't we open up a Mothman museum? And, you know, since people keep asking about it and we keep getting phone calls and people stop into town wanting to know about it, why don't we open up a museum? So he and some other local folks uh, got together and created this Mothman museum and it, it took off. People started coming from all over the world to see this, this place, uh, to, to get the story, uh, to wander around the town, to see where all these things, you know, these things have happened. People like me who are fascinated by the story decided to come in and check it out. Uh, and they did by the thousands and they were kind of blown away by, by, the, by the response. And, 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 and the, the greatest thing was it never died down. It only got greater and greater every year. Um, so as, as time went on from the early 2000s up, um, you know, people from all over the world have been flooding into Point Pleasant every summer and every fall when they have the Mothman Festival. The, the, Walmsley and a, and a couple other people decided, well, we, we've gone this far. Why don't we make it something bigger? And every year now they have a Mothman Festival. The whole town uh, is, is barricaded off, and uh, it's a festival-type thing with, with uh, people in Mothman costumes and men in black costumes, and there's food, and there's bands, and it becomes this huge thing. They have, they have tours of the TNT area. It uh, becomes this huge deal every year. And it has brought business back to Point Pleasant. Uh, the first time I'd ever gone there, uh, I want to say it was back in 2000, oh, 2013 or so, roughly, um, it was a very quiet place. Um, everything was boarded up. Uh, a lot of the main street uh, businesses were not there. There was nothing there. Uh, the whole place rolled up around 8 o'clock. There was nothing going on. Uh, when I came back a year or so ago, the place was bumping. Uh, there were cars everywhere. We actually had to walk <laughs> down the street. Uh, we had to park down the street and walk to get to the museum. I'd never seen that before. Uh, new businesses had opened, a couple of new restaurants. Uh, so I was glad to see that. I'm glad to see that, that they took something that was seen as kind of a, a weird tragedy and turned it into something that actually helped the town rebuild. So it's an awesome situation. Uh, if you're ever down, if you're ever down in Point Pleasant, I, I highly recommend you check out the Mothman Museum. You may see Jeff Walmsley there. He's known to stop in, um, 
It's got all the you know, all the all the props from the Mothman prophecy movie movies are there. Uh, it's got a model of the the, the bridge and it shows you know, how that went down. Uh, there's a whole uh, display on the Men in Black. All of the police records and all of the police reports and uh, the drawings that were done, those are all there. It's a really cool place, and you can pick up some Mothman T-shirts while you're there. Uh, it's definitely a cool place. Outside, there is a Mothman statue. You can get your picture taken with that. Um, not exactly what I would have thought Mothman would look like, but it was some artist's rendition of it, and uh, you know, you can get a cool selfie with it. Kind of a cool place to stop by and, and check out. So if you're ever down that way, make a stop in Point Pleasant. There's there's more to Point Pleasant than just the Mothman Museum. There's all kinds of cool stuff. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, I wanna I wanna uh, make a mention of of uh, two different two different videos. If you're interested in finding out more about Mothman. Uh, there's tons of books on it. You can look up tons of books on, on, on Amazon. But I want to point you guys to two documentaries that are perfect, that are, that are amazing to watch. The first one was uh, Matthew J. Pulowski's Eyes of the Mothman. came out in 2011. Uh, it's probably the best one that I've seen. And it includes, it includes things uh, that were not in my story. They talk about uh, some of the sightings that came before Point Pleasant. People saw it in other areas of West Virginia, different stories of where that happened. Um, they talk about... Uh, Merle Partridge was the guy that saw it, and his dog disappeared. <laughs> and they think Mothman took his dog, but it was possible. Uh, he saw some weird lights on his farm. Uh, he saw these two red eyes. Uh, kind of a cool story there. Uh, there were some people digging graves in another town. Somewhere they saw this thing fly over the graveyard. Um, there's those stories. Uh, it tells about Chief Cornstock and the curse. There's a whole section on that. Uh, it even goes into another, a, another loosely tied incident that happened uh, around that same time period, uh, the case of Indrid Cold, uh, the UFO case, uh, Walter Derenberger. All right, it's kind of a cool. It's 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 a, it's a cool. It's very. It's kind of like a two two and a half hour long documentary, but worth it. All right, you can watch it in pieces, parts. It's it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, the other one is the Mothman of Point Pleasant, uh, which is Seth Breedlove. That's uh, Small Town Monsters. It's a really good documentary as well. Uh, both, I think you can find both of them on Amazon, so should be, both be on Prime. Um, I, well, I want to say Eyes of the Mothman, or, or no, not Eyes of the Mothman, I want to say that uh, the Small Town Monsters one is on, on YouTube. You can get that on YouTube, I believe. All right, so that's that's the story in a nutshell. There's all kinds of other little things that happened along that time period. I mean, I, I could go on for hours about all the little events that happened in that space of that year, 66 to 67. But um, just imagine what that would have been like. I mean, we, none of us can imagine. And this is at a time when, when the media wasn't what it is today. So, you know, you're doing this all in the space of your own little town. It's just like the Twilight Zone had come to your hometown. And everybody else was normal outside, but your town was just going crazy with these supernatural events. And these aren't people who were prone to that. These weren't people who were like, yeah, okay. They, they, weren't, they weren't accepting that as an answer. They wanted to know what was going on. And, and, you know, nobody knew. Uh, some people thought it was a demon. Some people thought it was, you know, uh, an angel. Some people thought it was an alien. Nobody knew. So, um, it's a crazy story. Once you go down the rabbit hole, trust me, once you go into the, into to find out more about this thing, you're going to want to know more. You're going to want to go there and see these places. Trust me. Trust me on that. All right. Now, this is where my adventure begins with Point Pleasant. All right. Fast forward to 2013. All right, I was uh, I, I had been living in in my my hometown. I've been back. I've been I'd already started teaching, and uh, 
I one day was driving home from work and I was driving past my old intermediate school, my uh, intermediate school, uh, where, where I first found this book. And I saw a sign that said school library sale. And on a whim, I decided to pull up and, and, and go in and see, you know, what was what. And uh, I walked into that same library that I'd been into and they had boxes and boxes and boxes of old books they were just getting rid of so i figured well you know i'll see what's in here maybe there's something cool for my classroom so i'm shuffling around and i'm shuffling around and sure as shit what do i find in one of these boxes but that same daniel cohen book and so i snagged that for one dollar and i still have that book today that book is still in my possession i have it on my bookshelf um kind of cool i got out you know and and that was kind of the impetus for me to actually finally go to point pleasant you know up up until that point, I had kind of forgotten about it. I hadn't really thought about it very much. But you know, having that book in my hands was kind of like a sign. Like, hey, man, you've always wanted to go and see this place. You know, it was all you could think about when you were a kid. Go down there and, and, and see what's to see. So uh, I did. That, that, that summer, uh, which was 2014, I finally uh, went down to Point Pleasant. A good friend of mine from Pittsburgh came with me. And we, we went down there and we stayed at the Historic Low Hotel which is a crazy story unto itself. I could probably do a whole story on the Low Hotel. Uh, the Low Hotel, uh, according according to what I had read up on, was one of the top ten haunted hotels in the country. So, you know, an adventure to be had there. But we stayed at the Low Hotel. Uh, we got to explore that at night. Um, let me explain one thing about the Low Hotel before I move on. The Low Hotel is right on the river. It's like this. I want to say it's like this three or four story. It's an old. It's a century plus old hotel. Right, this thing's so old that like it's settled, so like the hallways and the wood isn't isn't like level anymore. Like the doorways aren't completely level. Uh, all wood, everything creaks when you walk down the. You know, it's just an old hotel, all right. Um, very well taken care of, very well maintained. Everything's painted and clean and nice, but just very old. Um, you know, there's a place where where people had stopped along, you know, as they were you know, on on their on their adventures, on their barges, you know, doing their work. They'd stop for the night and they'd stay, you know, uh, on, on, uh, off the river. Um, but it's that old of a place. Uh, and when we were there, nobody else was staying there. Nobody. We were the only people staying at the low hotel. Uh, and uh, what happens at night is they, there's, you know, most hotels have desk desk work that stays down at the desk all night in case anybody needs anything. But at the, at the low hotel, people go home. They leave at 10 o'clock and they give you, basically what they give you is a skeleton key. It opens up your room and it opens up the front door. So if you leave for the night, if you go out on the town or go to get food or whatever, they give you this skeleton key so you can get in. So we had the key to this joint. We're the only people there. We spent the entire night roaming around the place, you know, looking, and, and not all the hotel was being used. There were floors um, where some of these rooms hadn't been, hadn't been used in years, and so they were wide open, and, and they had just stored things inside of them, and we, we wandered around this hotel for a couple hours. Uh, the ballroom at the top floor was completely, you know, where they used to have legit balls, you know, dancing going on. It was full of old chairs and all kinds. Of, it, was, it was like walking through an old attic. It was really cool. Um, it creepy as hell, but worth it. We didn't see any ghosts. I didn't hear anything or sense anything, although my friend swears that they smelled cigar smoke at one point. I, I don't know. Ne neither one of us were smoking cigars, but who knows? Um, very cool place. So now it's kind of hard. Like if you go down to Point Pleasant, staying at the Low Hotel, you better get a reservation early because people now go to see this place, and, and especially during Mothman season, during the during the uh, the festival in uh, in the fall, uh, you may as well forget getting a place there because. Uh, you basically have to get a room a year ahead of time, all right, to stay there. But if you get a chance to stop at the Low Hotel, it's really cool. It's a really cool hotel. 
Um, think like The Shining, but more rustic and smaller. <laughs> that guy has these long hallways. Turn the turn the corner, and I sw- if I ever see two twins there, I'm gonna crap my pants. But anyway, um, when we first went there, it was a ghost town. Like I said, it was very different than what it is today. Uh, the people there are very nice. The people there are wonderful. I'm gonna say that right now. People in Point Pleasant are fantastic. Um, this is still that same mentality where if you're walking down the street, you know, they tip the hat and say good morning or whatever. People are very friendly. It's not like being up here in the north where people are like, ah, don't look at me. You know, they're walking past them like, don't, everybody, nobody wants to, there's no eye contact up here in Cleveland, right? You just keep on walking, don't pay attention. Down there, everybody's very friendly. Uh, even if you're from out of town or, or, and they know, they know you're not from around there. Uh, they are still very kind and very nice and very helpful, um, for instance, we, we stopped in at uh, the Harris Cafe where we met Carolyn Harris. Carolyn Harris was the, is the owner of the, well, was the owner of the place. She was one of the ones that helped form the Mothman Museum and get the, the festival going. Uh, this little old lady, wonderful. All right, she ran this place, and she um, sadly had had an experience with the bridge as well. She's one of the ones that told me, don't, don't talk, we don't talk about that here. Uh, she, I guess she had, uh, her first marriage, her, her son had died on that bridge. So we were very, we were very upset. We were very, like, I was very kicking myself in the ass for having asked, but she, she was very, she forgave us right away. She's like, it's all right. You didn't know. And, uh, we went in there and ate and she, they, the, the, the locals that were in there, you could tell they, they, they came in every day to have their, their burger and read their newspaper. And they were all excited to talk to us about, you know, what we were doing there. And it was just a, it was a, it was a, 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 just a nice place to hang out and eat and eat for an hour and talk to the locals. So it was a really cool place. Um, unfortunately, Carolyn Harris died a few years back. She passed away. Um, but I'm glad I got to meet her. Really cool lady. Um, you know, who had a big part in bringing Point Pleasant back from the brink. Um, now, one of the big things that we did, of course, every time I go to Point Pleasant, we go out to what's left of the West Virginia Ordnance Works. That's the TNT area out at the McClintic Wildlife Management Area. Uh, there is so much stuff out there to explore. Um, so many things, so many areas to go take a look at. There are areas that have old bunkers, these old uh, control bunkers and uh, uh, machinery bunkers that are so far into the woods that we literally had to bring a machete. Uh, I had I had a machete that I, I had somehow acquired uh, that I had sharpened up. We actually used this machete to cut through. It's like we were in the jungle. It's like we're in the jungle somewhere in South America. I'm like slashing through this underbrush just to get to this this old control bunker um, where they used to control the flow of, of chemicals together, right? Um, uh, my girlfriend had a pair of, 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 of trimming shears. We're like cutting our way through the jungle here. Uh, and it was in the middle of summer, so it was hot as hell. Uh, we, can't, we must have lost like 10 pounds apiece. Uh, we're just sucking down water. But it was, it, was, it was like an Indiana Jones adventure. That's how this place was. Um, so there was that. Uh, there's a South Acid area. The South Acid area uh, has these, these, these huge columns, these huge concrete columns that used to hold the giant metal or steel tanks that held the different chemicals, the acids, the, the different things used to make TNT. And, of course, the tanks are gone, but you have these, these giant rows of, of columns, and it looks like some kind of ancient Greek ruin. Uh, we would go inside the middle of these, and it was all overgrown. So there's vines growing up all over it. It seemed like some kind of crazy Indiana Jones adventure. It really did, uh, which was the charming part about it. It was just it was a it was an awesome explorer. I had a ton of fun there. I'd love to go back. Uh, every time I go back, I find more of this stuff back there. Uh, there are acres of this stuff. Um, 
of course, it takes forever to get to. That that is the downside. There's no nice easy path you can walk down. There's no you know you can't just pull up to the side of it and hop out and jump in like like most of the abandoned buildings we're used to seeing. But this, yeah, you you got to work to get there. And when, once you get there, it's kind of cool. It's a cool place to to hang out. Just watch out for the wasp nests. There are tons of wasp nests in these old bunkers. Um, uh, and you, it, it, the crazy thing is, at one point, this was a bustling industrial area. There were there were hundreds of people running around, working in these different factories, getting stuff done. Um, and now it's completely abandoned. It's com- like, like like nobody never ever been there. You would never have known uh, had it not been for these concrete remnants. Um, you know, uh, all the holding ponds that they used to use for all the coolant water uh, are now marshes. People people fish in them, which is probably a bad idea because back I want to see back in the seventies or eighties. Uh, the EPA came in and just said, oh, shit. Uh, there were barrels and things that had been buried underneath the ground that were now seeping into these these holding ponds where people were fishing and eating the fish out of it. So God only knows what happened there. Like, took, like, like red ooze was coming out of the ground, like bubbling up and, and like sitting up on top of the water, like, 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 like a jelly-like substance. It was probably nitroglycerin. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, the EPA came in and declared it a, a Superfund site. So that whole back area there, I, I think they've done some massive cleanup, but there's still, every now and again, I guess, some things that, that, that pop up. But, you know, that's, that's what it's like. It's just, and it's just, it's so vast and so, f- it's, it's, it's just lonely out there. It's quiet. It's very still. Um, and now and again, you'll hear bullfrogs. You know, you'll hear uh, birds, uh, and in fact, the birds will scare the shit out of you. Uh, you'll be going through the underbrush, and these birds will be nesting back there, and they'll just all come flapping out at you at once. We're talking water birds, like waterfowl, like herons and stuff like that, right? And they will come flying out at you, and you'll you'll have to go clean your pants out. But um, the, the the most exciting place to go, the the, the place that I love to go mo- the most in the in the TNT area, is the uh, where the igloos are at. Right, what the hell is an igloo? This is what an igloo is. Um, back during World War II, uh, they were trying to keep these places hidden from any possible Nazi flyovers, even though the Nazis couldn't get here to do that. But they had they had buried they basically had built these giant concrete igloos, right, with a little like a, like a little pressure valve at the top to to let air out, right. But they covered the entire thing with dirt to keep them hidden from aerial view. Uh, and the only way in was through these giant, this giant metal st- steel door that had these big latches on it that you had to turn, you know, turn one of those big, yeah, like a big, like a, like a big wheel you had to turn to open the door uh, with these huge locks in it, you know, just huge steel, thick steel door. And inside there, they would keep all the ammunition and, and, and bombs and whatever else that they stored there. And it was, you know, sealed tight. Um, now, of course, they're all empty. You can go into most of them, and, and the echo in there is just insane. And they're all spray-painted up. You can tell kids hang out there, right? There's beer bottles left behind and all kinds of stuff. Uh, of course, you always find the, the occasional pair of panties laying in there. Like, oh, great. You know, it, it's where kids go to hang out, you know, in the summertime. Uh, there's, like, remnants of little fires inside. You probably go in there and drink and whatever else. But... Um, some of them are still sealed up. There are some of them that are still owned by different companies that are storing things in them. Um, they're, they're all in these like these rows of feeder roads. Like this, like every every I want to say every couple hundred feet, there's a feeder road that goes across the property. And at a hundred every 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 like hundred feet or so on those feeder roads, you'll have one of these igloos, and they're all staggered. So you can you can walk down one of these feeder roads, and every hundred feet is one of these empty igloos you can walk into. And some of them are still sealed. Uh, 
<laughs> in fact, I forget how many years ago it was. It was before I ever went there. I guess there was one that still had explosives in it that actually, for whatever reason, blew up. I don't know if it was just because it had old material in it. You know, the substances just went kablooey, and the entire igloo blew up. They could see the mushroom cloud from, from town. They could, see, they could hear the explosion from town, and we're talking like five miles away. They could see the, <laughs> the explosion had happened. There's this big thing of smoke, and uh, you can go visit it today. You can actually see it. The whole thing has collapsed in on itself. It's like an eggshell. The whole, it looks like some kind of crazy uh, jungle ruin because the, the creepers have climbed into the building and it's all, it, it's a really, it's really neat. Um, but the, the force of that explosion to blow that thing wide open had to be incredible. Uh, I can't even imagine what that was like. But um, yeah, so it, it depends on what time you go of the year too. You can see a lot more in the wintertime. This time of year is a good time to go. Uh, just make sure you wear your orange because people are out there hunting. Uh, you don't want to get shot <laughs> for sure. Um, in the summertime, it's a little bit different. There's, it's, there's wildlife everywhere. Uh, it's very hot and humid and sticky. There are mosquitoes the size of Volkswagens flying around. Huge mosquitoes. All right, bugs of all kinds, chiggers. Uh, just, we came out of there with scratches all over us, pricker bushes. Um, it's not for the faint of heart to go digging into the TNT. Uh, unless you've got proper gear and pants and, you know, that kind of... Don't go in there in shorts and, uh, and sandals and expect to come out being all, all, all clean and, and, and whole and intact. Ain't going to happen. All right? Um, there are so many things left back there that I would love to go see. Um, I, 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 you can see it all on aerial, too. If you pull up the, uh, the McClintic Wildlife Management Area and you look at it on Google Maps, there's so much stuff down there. You can see, you can see where all the old buildings are back there, but getting to them is the hard part. Um, supposedly there's an abandoned house back there uh, somewhere. Um, a lot of it's gone. Now, a lot of the stuff that, that was there during World War II is long gone, but you can still find remnants, little concrete buildings, bunkers, you know, all kinds of, of stuff scattered all over the property. I, I really wish that the power plants were still there. No dice, you know. But uh, so yeah, um, I, I I I really wanted to tell the story for you guys, and I hope you enjoyed it. All right, I I, I can never say enough about Point Pleasant. Like I said, the people there are fantastic. Um, the 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 history there is fantastic. Uh, you, you can tell there's definitely a vibe in that town when you go. Uh, you you can feel like bad things have happened there. There's a sadness to the town. There is. But there's also now an optimism there, so it's kind of this 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 like like, like balance of, of sadness and and optimism going on. Um, there's rebuilding going on. There's 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 better times ahead. We we can hope, all right. But there's definitely the memory of sad things that happened. The bridge collapse, the the curse. There's there's all kinds of. They've had floods there. Um, it's just it's it, it, you can feel it when you get there. But I highly recommend you go. Um, it's a really really fun town to go see. Um, yeah, so if you're down that down that way, definitely take a trip over. But uh, that is the story of Mothman. Now, oh, I want to mention, all right, I want to mention Mothman, even though he disappeared uh, in December of 1967, that wasn't the last that we've ever seen of Mothman or heard of him. Uh, according to legends and stories and urban legends on the internet that I was able to find, he has been seen in multiple situations, usually before some kind of large disaster goes down. Okay. For instance, and again, I'm not I'm not verifying this at all. This is just what people, uh, you know. And, and again, these could this could, this could be completely full of shit. I have no idea. But um, people swear to God that they saw him in New York before 9/11 up on one of the buildings. You know, 
is that tied to that? Could that ever possibly happen? Who knows? All right. Uh, more recently, uh, with with the coming of the uh, the Chernobyl uh, uh, series that went down a year or two ago, people started talking about, oh yeah, the Russians saw something similar to that uh, at the power plant before it blew up in 1986. I don't know. Nobody knows if that's true or not. Um, I will tell you what has been happening that has been fairly well documented. There's even a book about it is that the Mothman has been seen quite often over the space of the last 10 years in Chicago, of all places. Lots and lots of Mothman sightings in Chicago. Nothing where anything bad has happened, but people have seen this thing in various areas around the Windy City. So uh, I want to say I want to say Lauren Coleman wrote a book on it. I want to say it was him. Uh, yeah, if you look up you know, Chicago Mothman, there's actually books on it. Uh, so... I, he still lives. He's still out there. And of course, he lives in our hearts. He lives in our imaginations. All right. He lives in in these festivals and, and in these books that are written. Um, he's not going anywhere. He's, he's a permanent part of American culture. And I am very excited to have been able to, to get to know him like I have, assuming that it's a him. He could be a girl for all I know. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, so that's the story, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I know we went a little bit over our normal our normal limit today, but I hope you guys dug the story. It's again, it's one of my favorite ones. All right. Um, if, if you want to talk Mothman, please by all means head over to Mr. P Explorers. Uh, you know, drop some comments uh, underneath this 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 broadcast. There, uh, I would love to talk Mothman with you guys. Uh, if you have any questions, um, whatnot, uh, by all means, drop them. It's one of my favorite topics, all right? So uh, come visit me over at Instagram. Come visit me over at, uh, at Vero. Come visit me on Twitter, all right? Um, yeah, I hope you guys have a great weekend to come, all right? Enjoy, and of course, whatever you do, make sure you stay out there. Keep exploring, even in the cold, all right? Document it all. Never stop exploring. All right, guys, that's all I've got for today. This is Mr. P signing off.